0: Okay, let's go So, tell me what, why do you think Kinship House is important?
1: Kinship House, in addition to being like a very accepting queer space to be, it has also just opened up a lot of opportunity for me in the area. And I feel very
2: lucky because as a Asian woman living in um, rural Virginia, I, I feel like home because it's a very diversity-embracing environment for me, and ever since we celebrate a lot of holidays, not just the holidays in America, but also holidays in China. <laughs> as I'm from China, so we have all different languages in our household.
3: I felt very limited in my life choices because of housing concerns. You know, you have to kind of fall into this trap of like looking for a life partner so that you can afford to buy a house or you have to pay crazy rent prices that basically trap you into this cycle of just being a continuous renter and so kinship house was for me this like amazing liberation
1: um and i uh i grew up in rockbridge county which is like kind of a it's a weird lexington is weird it's like a little liberal in the middle um but like the whole county is red and so it was like, I didn't really have a lot of models growing up, if any, really. Um, it's a hub for
2: to connect all the queers in the Southwest Virginia or even further in this rural area. And it's a beacon to shed a light to their far, and then let people know, uh, even in the rural area, there's a home that always belongs to them
3: you know it gave me like a communal option for being a 30 year old who didn't have a lot of money
1: Mm -hmm. yeah there need to be like more spaces like this where queer people can gather in a safe welcoming environment um yeah to just like be
2: Kinship House is everything you need in your life.
1: <laughs> so sweet. Kinship House is a space where I can comfortably be myself.
3: I think Kinship House is queer liberation. Okay. Yeah. Great. Liberation through solidarity.
0: Southwest Virginia LGBTQ History Project. My name is Samantha. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And I also live in Kinship House. This is a podcast episode created by students at Roanoke College in the class Introduction to Public History, exploring histories of LGBTQ housing and homelessness in Roanoke, Virginia.
4: Council members say a new ordinance and assistance from an ongoing partnership could help the Star City find that balance. The proposal would make it illegal to sleep or try to set up a home on Roanoke City streets and city council members say it's not just dangerous for the people trying to camp out.
3: We've heard stories of those with disabilities. Um, having difficulty navigating around. Individuals camping and taking up our sidewalk spaces so we have, under the ADA we owe them that duty to try to make our sidewalks safe and accessible
5: Homelessness in the LGBTQ community has long been a serious problem. According to the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health, the LGBTQ community makes up roughly 20 to 40 percent of homeless populations. These problems arise from a number of issues.
6: Members of Roanoke's LGBTQ community have historically found themselves in perilous situations, stemming from issues such as a lack of family support and varying forms of legal housing discrimination, including Jim Crow racial segregation and anti-gay housing laws. This led LGBTQ Roanokers to create their own housing situations. These included an initially white-only gay neighborhood in Old Southwest, pockets of LGBTQ belonging in segregated black neighborhoods like Gainsborough, and of course, also living on the streets with friends and lovers. There are many stories in Roanoke of families kicking out their LGBTQ children. One day my mom was in a snit and called the police and said, I, I don't want this garbage here anymore. And and uh, I was in my room at the time and I saw the blue lights in the, in coming through the blinds. I was thinking, wow, she really called the police. <laughs> and they were really nice. They said, you know, don't make this any harder than it needs to be. Just just get something and, and, you know, maybe after things cool off, you can come back.
4: Mm-hmm. Trying trying to give... to be a role model to kids who need that or... Um, sometimes we turn out to be maternal or paternal figures to a lot of it excuse me, the kids, because, you know, they were kicked out of their home. Um, And it it just, we haven't, parents have not moved forward that much. Society, um, the greater part of society does, but I think it's got to be the biggest shock for your parents to know, oh, you're a what? Oh, a lesbian, or you're a gay man, or you're transgender. Um, And it just... Or bisexual, you know. I, I just think it was—it's such a flip out for parents, and that's what we're trying to do—is establish a situation where it's a safe haven.
0: The city has seen a variety of agencies come and go that serve a homeless population. Historically, these organizations have failed to specifically make accommodations for LGBTQ people seeking services. The RAM House, for example, uses their funds to provide transportation for guests during extreme heat and a severe weather. They give out bus tickets to take homeless individuals to and from the rescue mission. The rescue mission, in fact, made some changes in the recent years to better accommodate guests of the LGBTQ community. They extended their hours for when guests can be on campus so now guests can be there in the morning and later in the evening. Many LGBTQ Roanokers, however, still complain about the rescue mission as an unwelcome space.
7: The Salvation Army used to run an LGBTQ youth community in Roanoke that served as a protective space. It was a day center in southeast Roanoke, but now it's closed. Trust House was a nonprofit organization that provided for unhoused individuals, families, and veterans in Roanoke City. But they recently closed as a result of staffing and financial struggles in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. Before it closed, Barbara partnered with the Trust House.
4: But, uh, Trust House will help with the with, uh, placing for housing and TAP works with job training. So we have now established a collaborative effort and we just had um, a meet and greet for all of the nonprofit organizations where they came in and they got to hear what we were here for.
6: For better insight, Phoenix provided us with their firsthand experience.
8: Hello, my name is Phoenix Kesey. My pronouns are they, them. I've lived in Roanoke for 22 years. I identify as Two-Spirit. I'm Black, Indigenous, Autistic, and Disabled. I have experienced transitional housing crisis eight times due to intimate partner sexual and racial violence. I have experienced discrimination during these crises while attempting to access resources. My most recent experience with housing crisis lasted 11 months. There were times my crisis was prolonged by discrimination, and I experienced a lot of discrimination towards me as a transgender person. There were times I had to detransition to survive and present in ways that were not helpful or healthy for me. It was a very traumatizing experience for me.
5: Homeless people, by virtue of lacking resources, do not generally have the ability to take care of their health. Homelessness is often detrimental to physical and mental health, but poor health beforehand can be a reason one becomes homeless as well. The issues facing homeless people and those with insecure housing are interrelated and exacerbate each other. We'll explore the different ways homelessness and mental health and physical health interact with each other.
8: Some of the health impacts of being unhoused in Roanoke would include poor sleep due to group shelter environment or lack of safety for those staying outside of shelters, fatigue and exhaustion due to not having a safe place to shelter during the day, poor mental health outcomes due to dehumanizing experiences and or living conditions with peers as well as those serving the unhoused community, and an exposure to a higher risk of experiencing violence due to the vulnerability of being unhoused, such as human trafficking, intimate partner violence, sexual violence, racial violence, as well as gang and gun violence.
9: Hello, I'm Juliana,
1: and for LGBTQ plus roomers living with insecure housing or living on the streets, mental health and physical health are constant considerations. Mental health issues for LGBTQ plus communities experiencing homelessness include challenges such as substance abuse and intimate partner violence. Insecure housing absolutely has a huge effect on mental health and domestic abuse while going hand in hand with physical abuse is a huge factor that sometimes leads to homelessness. Many LGBTQ plus people turn to drugs or alcohol to cope with this persistent discrimination or violence.
10: Um, So I came out when I was 19 as lesbian, that was in 1978, um, and uh, my first partner was quite a bit older than I was, and uh, did not get along with my mother at all. Um, it was they hated one another, um, so that was a real, real bad period of time with my mother hassling me and calling me and starting fights and stuff. And then my partner would get on the phone and then they would get into a fight. And, uh, it was, it was not, it was not good. It was not good for anybody. Um, my partner had been a heroin addict in the sixties. And, uh, Hmm. so we, because there was so much turmoil Uh, with me and with you know my mother and all that so um, we started doing a lot of drugs and uh, uh, a lot of pills and uh, of course that escalated to I was shooting some drugs at the time and uh, I was in college but I wasn't doing very good because I was doing so many drugs and uh I overdosed a couple of times and ended up in a psych ward.
5: Physical health and homelessness are interrelated. The presence of one will exacerbate and act as a comorbidity of the other. This was particularly true in the 1980s and 1990s during the height of the AIDS crisis. People with AIDS were treated as pariahs and sometimes forced out of housing due to their HIV-positive status. Gail Burris was someone who formed support groups to help people she knew who had been diagnosed with AIDS.
6: The AIDS, AIDS crisis hit here very hard, and there is a guy here named Meyer He was a psychologist and he had gotten very involved, I had quite a few other people, in um, providing aid and support to people who had AIDS. And um, I connected with him. I can't remember how, but I was one of a group of people who would volunteer to visit AIDS patients in the hospitals who did not have um, any family members or family members who would visit or had really had any friends.
7: The AIDS crisis also affected sex workers in Roanoke. In oral history, a former trans sex worker talks about their experiences engaging into sex work in Roanoke at the age of 13.
4: And I was 13 years old at that time. Um, it's, uh, It's a hard time to go back because in the 80s, that's when AIDS first came out there were 35 to 40 transvestites that was all up and down Salem avenues. And the men could tell who was the real prostitutes, the women, different from the men because the transvestites actually dressed better. Um, They dressed better, they looked better, they were clean, uh, they were not dirty. And what I mean by that is, I mean, you could never find a transvestite in dirty clothes. But the real prostitutes, you could.
0: Struggles with mental and physical health can bring someone into homelessness. Homelessness exacerbates these struggles with mental and physical health in a
10: vicious feedback loop.
6: My advice would be to recognize people in your life that have created a safe space for you to dwell in and entrust them with your story. And in doing so, recognize that your story is a gift and that you have a choice, for the most part, about who you share that story with.
4: We feel that because of substandard housing, this will tend to create a feeling, a substandard feeling among the residents, and subsequently a substandard feeling among the children who live in these homes, and therefore causing them to have a feeling of inferiority. And this feeling may cause them to rebel against society, as was pointed out in the report of the President's Commission on Civil Disorders. We have found that there is a growing feeling of unrest circulating in Roanoke regarding some of the uh, inadequate housing facilities, the lack of recreational facilities in other
7: problem areas. Since its founding, Roanoke has had a history of enforcing racism through segregation in housing. Beginning with the separation of neighborhoods by race, minority communities in the Roanoke Valley have faced a constant uphill battle in trying to coexist. Government policies, including legal forms of racial, Gender and sexual discrimination are the cause for these conditions. Jim Crow segregation led to the formation of the Gainesboro neighborhood in the northwest, a predominantly black neighborhood where most black LGBTQ people have had to carve out spaces of belonging. White LGBTQ people created the city's neighborhood in Old Southwest and a historically all-white part of the city. I was living in the Old Southwest. I had I moved from the house that I had bought before up in Shaw'sville.
5: That's a different story. Uh, to uh, uh, come in here. And Old Southwest was like a little gay ghetto. Yay, we're almost in a big city, you know. It's, you know, gay neighbors. Wow, isn't that strange and different and wonderful. This is a liberated zone. So uh, we were concentrated. A lot of folks were concentrated there.
7: For most of its history, Roanoke's gay communities have had to fend for themselves with no legal protection. In 1968, the federal government passed the Fair Housing Act, which outlawed discrimination in home buying on the basis of race or sex. Notably, this did not include sexual orientation, so there was nothing to stop homeowners from refusing to sell or rent to openly queer people. Another infamous example of discrimination against gay families was Virginia Question 1 an amendment to the state constitution which expressly outlawed gay marriage in 2006. This law lasted until it was declared unconstitutional by the federal government in 2014. In recent years, says there have been further pushes to expand the protection of the rights of Virginia's LGBTQ population, most notably the Virginia Values Act.
6: I think if we can finish getting the Virginia
2: Values Act passed, that's going to do a lot for people around here. Um, as the governor says he'll sign it and then we'll be the first state in the south with housing and employment protections for LGBT folks and you know back in 2006 when they passed you know the constitutional amendment for the state constitution to outlaw gay marriage
1: I didn't think we'd ever get here
4: mm-hmm.
7: the Virginia Values Act was passed into law on April 11th 2020 This law protects Virginians from discrimination in any public accommodation, as well as housing and applying for credit. This act applies to all Virginians, but is mainly designed to protect members of the LGBTQ community. Before the act was passed, Virginia was one of the only five states in the USA with no real protection in public accommodations for anyone at all, especially those from marginalized groups. This law is a consequential step in the right direction, but there is still a lot of work to get done. It's important to recognize that Roanoke has grappled with housing discrimination impacting both racial and LGBTQ communities for an extended period. However, the silver lining is that we're witnessing positive changes. Recent legislative advancements, such as the Virginia Values Act, signal remarkable progress in safeguarding the rights and well-being of marginalized groups, particularly the LGBTQ community. While there is more work ahead, these strides offer hope for a more inclusive and brighter future, not only in Roanoke, but across the state of Virginia. With all the negativity surrounding homelessness, it is important to know that there were always different types of housing for the LGBTQ community. A lot of the housing issues faced by the LGBTQ people came after World War II. Historically, there have been different housing options such as LGBTQ specific shelters. There were also the formation of gay neighborhoods and communes, both urban and rural. Many LGBTQ people formed new chosen families in order to have an emotional support system.
4: The the sort of weird side benefit of growing up gay at the time that I did was that many of us uh, had minimal contact with our families and so we did what sort of it became to, became to be known as choosing your own family. That's what I've done. I mean I regard my family, my friends, as my family.
1: In the 1970s the Roanoke area was home to many gay and lesbian communes or collective living situations. One Virginia residence, in Lynchburg actually, was a hub for social gatherings and activism for both Lynchburg and Roanoke residents in the early 80s. I present to you 314 Harrison Street, the place to be.
8: There was one particular house in Lynchburg on Harrison Street. Have you heard about this?
9: How do you feel about sex? Will be the next discussion question posed at the next PALS gathering at 7 p.m. Sunday, June 26th at 314 Harrison Street in Lynchburg. Blue Ridge Lambda Press, June 19,
4: 1983. Harrison Street, beautiful part of Lynchburg. We uh, had our lives there, and and, uh, we would have parties at the house, a huge house on Harrison Street, and uh, that's where people came. Mark
1: your calendars for Friday night, October 14th, in Club 314 Cabaret. This last cabaret on September 9th was attended by an equal number of women and men some of whom came from as far away as Charlottesville. The highlight of the cabaret was Dandy Randy's stand-up comedy routine. Dandy Randy has been asked to come back on October 14th. We also hope to have some singing from one of our talented local ladies. $2 admission benefits, The Gay Helpline, Blue Ridge Lambda Press, October 1983. Harrison Street was the birthplace of the Blue Ridge Lambda Alliance, an organization that dealt with gay activism and politics in the 1980s. From fundraiser cabarets that went until the early hours of the morning to support group meetings created for gay men and women who want to share what's in their hearts and minds. 314 Harrison was a safe space and a center of something much larger that encompassed Southwest Virginia during a time where nothing was certain for the queer community as the AIDS
9: epidemic was on the rise. Queer Collective Housing projects still exist today in Virginia, including here in the Roanoke Valley. Roanoke College in Salem, for example, features its very own Mosaic Affinity House, which opened to students this fall in 2023. The Mosaic House is located on the second and third floors of one of the campus's newer residential dorm buildings and is attached to a greater building complex of other dorm halls. To better understand what it's like to live in an environment made up of people in the same community, Haley sat down with a few residents to hear their insights. I
8: definitely think that there is a community there. People know each other. People interact with each other a lot more than I think that they do in other
7: dorms. You can go up to anyone and just talk to them without having to worry about anything.
9: Might not be the closest to them, but if you're like in crisis or anything, they'll make a conceited effort to be there for you. And I've never had that. I love that
1: about Mosaic.
9: While the community within the Mosaic House is strong, given the exceptional bouts of growing pains, the con that all three residents we interviewed shared was the same. The threat still exists from non-house members. They were coming in, trashing our bathrooms, taking our food from our fridges, yelling that a slur past us. All three students agreed that in the years ahead, they'd like to see better security for the house, and all hope that its existence is normalized enough to where they don't fear discrimination from non-mosaic house members.
1: It's clear that LGBTQ-specific housing has been, and is still now, a crucial aspect of being a part of the gay community. In some cases, it's the only place left for some people to go when things get hard. These houses and shelters are built to raise a sense of community, belonging, and safety. In order to strengthen this vision, we asked our Mosaic House residents what they'd like to see for the future of LGBTQ housing.
7: If we're talking about a utopian world, I would kind of hope that maybe LGBTQ housing wouldn't be needed because I would just hope that everyone would be able to accept everyone else and we just have a good community throughout.
9: I think that in in a perfect world, it would be a place where people are able to live as they truly are without fear of judgment from anyone, without fear of judgment from neighbors, without fear of judgment from peers in a space
10: that is united.
0: to Phoenix, Harper, Bean, Joe Cobb, Matt Crookshank, and Allison Jorgensen. Also, B Hannah, and Rachel Ann from Kinship House, and Jamie, Chris, and Lee from Mosaic House for all of your contributions to this podcast. All of the archival audio interviews in this episode are drawn from oral histories in the LGBTQ History Collection at the Virginia Room, Roanoke Public Libraries located in Roanoke, Virginia. The oral history narrators featured in today's program include Theodore Castle, Barbara Mayberry, Meyer S. Reed, Nathaniel Preston, Price, Gail Burris, Joe Cobb, Anonymous, Michelle Bennett, Peter Thornhill, and Jerry Jennings. Additional archival audio courtesy of the WSLS-TV News Film Collection at the University of Virginia and WFXR-TV. The music in today's episode comes from Blue Dot Sessions, Purple Planet Music, Josh Leake, Louis Adrian, Jamie Rutherford, and ANBR. Please subscribe and share. You can find more information about the Southwest Virginia LGBTQ History Project and this podcast at SWVALGBTQHistory.org. We are also on Facebook at Southwest Virginia LGBTQ History Project, and follow us on Instagram at SWVALGBTQHistory. Thank you for your contributions to making history with us.